This is The Point, professional investing in Australia with Pendle. Welcome to The Point podcast from Pendle. It's not overstating it to say that the US banking system has been in turmoil this year with the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and the sale of First Republic to JP Morgan. What's it mean for investors? Are US bank assets worth considering or is the risk just too great at the moment? To help us out, I welcome to the microphone this morning, Oliver G, Portfolio Manager with Pendle's Income and Fixed Interest Team. Oliver, welcome to The Point. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Wow. We've been reading a lot about it. What happened? Why have these banks either failed or needed to be sold or needed to be restructured? What's gone on? Yeah. So, well, since early March, the US banks have come under increased scrutiny following the collapse of some major institutions. I'm talking about the 14th and the 16th largest banks in the country who have all failed within the span of nine weeks. While some argue that the failures were due to individual factors or that these banks are not significant enough to cause widespread harm, I believe that these issues are not exclusive to these specific banks and there are actually even larger institutions grappling with the same problems. So what are the problems? Yeah, so that's a good question. So to understand what's happening with the US banking system, let me first provide some context on how banks make money, right? So at a basic level, lenders take deposits from customers like you and me and either invest the money in government bonds or lend it out as mortgages. The goal is to make more from these investments than they pay to depositors. The problem right now is that as interest rates rise and the economy slows, the value of these investments is declining. So even though you deposited $100 into a bank, the bank doesn't have $100 worth of assets that it can sell to return your money. Usually, there are a couple ways to handle this situation, but the panic among depositors is making it difficult, leading to the ripple effect of impairments and bankruptcies that we see today. So banks right now have a few options to stay solvent. They can either sell their investments at a big loss, they can raise more equity, which hurts their share price, or they can borrow from the Fed, but they have to pay 5% instead of the typical 0 to 2% paid to depositors. And none of these options are great, but banks are forced to enact them because depositors are afraid they won't get their money back. And for context, Deposit balances up to 250,000 US dollars are insured. The rest is uninsured. The banking system in the US is $24 trillion and just under 40% of that or 9 trillion is financed by uninsured dollars. There is a considerable pool of banks in the system carrying significant investment and loan losses that have been financed by a relatively high proportion of precariously fickle uninsured deposits. Okay, so we know about Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic, but you suggested that this was a more systemic problem for the sector. Are you saying that there could be even larger banks, larger than the 14th and 16th largest banks, to run into troubles? Yep, absolutely. The problems with First Republic and SVB are not unique. I I really want to stress that. There are potentially cracks opening up in the 5th, 6th, 7th, and 13th largest banks. And there is one that is on my radar that is within the top four that is suffering through the same situation, but I'm still working out exactly which one it is. So this is a trillion-dollar-plus asset-sized bank. This is a mega bank. 
that is suffering the same hurdles as everyone else. Okay, so how do you invest in banks in the US with that as background at the moment? Yeah, so I suppose this is a perfect time to to talk about bonds and fixed interest because they're the perfect instruments during a time of stress to really outperform. I think right now, despite concerns of a potential financial crisis, risk markets haven't really been as turbulent as expected. In fact, since the news broke out, global equity returns have increased by an average of, I think, 2 to 3%. This suggests a big disconnect between what investors are pricing in and what's actually happening. This is a concern. Right now, attitudes are relaxed because the Federal Reserve is playing the role of the white knight, you know, offering a life jacket to anyone in need, and in the worst case scenario, incentivizing bigger banks to pick up the scraps. While now this approach seems good on paper, it won't have the fairy tale ending that people expect. You know, risk investors have attached themselves to the false narrative that central banks will always save the day. But it needs to be remembered that policymakers are only generous at the start or the early rounds of a crisis, yep. not at the end. Right. So during the GFC, the Fed initially helped out AIG, Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, but eventually refused to bail out Lehman Brothers, which was one of the larger banks at the time. And today, I don't think this will be any different. I think the Federal Reserve, in a, in a bid to show they're not held hostage to every crack in the system, will allow some regional banks to default. And doing so will not only remove concerns around moral hazard, but also ensure a healthy pricing of financial markets. So that latter point, I mean, healthy pricing of financial markets, that's where fixed income investments come into their own? Yeah, that's right. Because so, that, that latter point is really important because investors are getting paid a premium for holding you know, bank debt because there's a chance, a small chance, that they won't get their money back. But if banks are always getting rescued, then these securities should trade like risk-free assets. And of course, they're not risk-free assets. And I think policymakers will make sure people are reminded of that fact sooner or later. And again, that comes back to what I was saying earlier, cash and government bonds are always going to be the real safe havens. And given the risks I've outlined uh, above, I think people are going to realise that, particularly this year, how much it pays to hold a decent percentage of it in their portfolios. What a great explanation of what's going on. Oliver, thank you for talking to The Point. Thank you very much, Sean. That was Oliver G, Portfolio Manager with Pendle's Income and Fixed Interest Team. You've been listening to The Point Podcast from Pendle. I'm Sean Aylmer.